What's your blood alcohol content? How did you get camo Jordans? They make them. Is it not a word? Dude, it is to a word. You harking back. You harking back. No, you do not. I was useless. Wait, hold on. Delonica? I'm hurting, man. Are you puking? Did you just bust out a Sargento? We're a uh, Tillamook family. What's the proper technique to milk the teat? If they are competing for state championships, they ain't paying for their blizzards. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith Podcast. Uh, Marty's here. Travis is here. Wesley Blankenship is off chasing Kirby Smart around somewhere. Uh, probably making some uh, breakfast for his little girl. He's not here this week. He has an engagement, and uh, so we'll make fun of him the entire episode. I had another crazy week, but it was a great week. I was all over the place. I was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana to interview LSU head coach Brian Kelly. I was in, where was I? Oh, Starkville, Mississippi for Marty and McGee. And then I went to San Diego, California to shoot a feature that you guys will see in November on ESPN. But amazing week. Uh, I want to start with Starkville, Mississippi, Travis. Good morning. That place is unbelievable. They were unbelievable. We've never had a crowd like we had in Starkville, Mississippi. They were there early. They were there in great volume. They were inexplicably loud, indescribably engaged. Are your ears, are your ears still like ringing from the cowbells? Because I'll I, tell don't know, you, I don't know how they do that. I'll tell you. Uh, McGee was sitting right beside me. McGee sits three feet away from me on our set for Marty and McGee, and I couldn't hear him. Jordan Rogers, we had Jordan on to break down some football and do uh, aight or not aight, one of our favorite segments on Marty and McGee. Couldn't hear a word Jordan was saying. And, and not only are we seated close to one another, we also have in these ear monitors. So we have amplified volume and still couldn't hear each other. Can you imagine, um, like, it's that hard to hear on a set. Can you imagine – trying to play quarterback and get everything to your team. We, uh, we were discussing that with Jordan. He never had to play there, but it was something to behold. And I had been to Starkville before a few years back when I was hosting SEC Nation during Laura Rutledge's maternity leave. It was loud, but it wasn't like this. This was another level that I've never experienced. And not only were they very loud and engaged – the kindness that the people in Starkville showed us. From Friday night at dinner, we went to walk-ons for dinner. My buddy Brandon owns walk-ons. Of course, founded in Baton Rouge. I ate there two days in a row. I actually ate lunch there on Thursday after I interviewed Coach Kelly, and then I had dinner there on Friday in Starkville. And the kindness was just humbling because so many people walk up, so many people say hello. They're grateful that we make them laugh and they're grateful that we sound the way we sound and that matters to me man it's really fulfilling for those folks to be so kind and they were a little too kind uh my man chuck came over uh and sent some jägermeister shots oh no no and i said uh chuck i don't do shots ever and I certainly don't do them the night before I have to work really early. And I certainly, certainly don't do them when they have Jägermeister in the glass. If he would have, like, thrown fireball in front of us or something like that, I might have been coaxed into doing it. Not Jaeger, Travis. Jaeger might be the, like, worst thing to take a shot of. And I, like, when I was in, you my, would younger, know. in my younger days, you know – that was a you know, common occurrence, you know, taking Jaeger bombs and all that. But I, it's, it's, it's motor oil, Marty. It's, it's absolutely disgusting. And, like, here, oh, probably a month ago or so, uh, I was with some friends, and they had friends in town, and we are at the bar, and one of them kept ordering Jaeger. And I'm like, for the love of God, we're all employed. Let's drink some, like, we, we're not 17 sneaking out what of the house. Is- what what classification is Jägermeister? What kind of alcohol is that? Pure, probably purified motor oil. Like 
I'm going to look it up, but it's it's so thick. You're saying that – all right, your hypothesis is that Jägermeister is 5W30. Yes. My hypothesis on Jägermeister is that it's actually NyQuil in a different bottle. But to it me, make- to me, it tastes like cough medicine. But well, they just don't add the the drowsiness to it. I don't know. I mean, I I'm pretty sure that they are of the same cloth. I uh, have a family friend back home, and you know he does a lot of singing events. And does that mean he's, he's a singer? He well, he, that's not his day job. He just does it for fun and has a, a, a little small little group. And um, he's he's damn good. He sounds like uh, Brooks and Dunn together. What? Like, he's pretty good. Like uh, he's won like a giant karaoke contest to sing at country concert in Ohio. Like he's he's better than like your average. What do you win if you win the giant karaoke contest? He sang on the main stage at country concert before Alan Jackson came out. He opened for Alan Jackson. Yeah, one song. But he opened for What song did he choose? Um, he did crap. It'll come to me. Um, is I Believe by Brooks and Dunn. That's cool. Um, but he drinks Jägermeister when he's singing to coat his throat. So, I mean, that, that actually lends itself to my hypothesis being an accurate one because I don't know much, but I think that NyQuil is the coughing, sneezing, whatever ails you medicine, right? Yes. Well, I think that I am correct then. Uh, so maybe it's just it's, – it's a DayQuil. It's where it doesn't get you drowsy. That's what you – know, maybe they should start just be like, hey, you have a sore throat. That, they need to market themselves that. I remember many years ago – um, Eric Church, heard of him. Kip Moore and Justin him. Moore toured together, <laughs> and it was the Jägermeister tour. And so they had all this Jaeger that they could drink, and it was a terrible idea. I mean, it was just not befitting uh, what we want on the road. We want Jack Daniels. We want good bourbon. We want Tito's. Jaeger, no. Well, I mean, they've, but when you're, I mean, you got to think about it, though. This is when they were first getting started, right? They would have, look, they would have taken anything. Yeah, so they're, they're just doing what they got to do to get alcohol and money. And now, you know, Eric is obviously a, a Jack guy. Kip is Jack, too, right? Kind of not a, an agreed upon, but isn't he, he is a big uh, fan of Jack, right? He's more of a vodka dude. Oh, well, Kip, let's hang out. Yeah. What's Justin's? I feel like have he's just ever, like. Have you ever been to Optimist in Nashville? I haven't. I got to take you there. I'm a terrible friend. Optimist is a restaurant in Nashville that has a phenomenal menu. But if you're a fish person, if you enjoy fish dishes, Optimist is unreal. They used to have this salmon ball appetizer and it was a it was a salmon ball that was stuffed with all of these spices and you would you would cut it open and all of these spices would just it was olive oil it was uh what's the one that they always put on chicken the green spice uh I can't remember what what all was in it, but man, it was so good, and they did away with it. I think the last couple times I've been there, they did not have it on the menu anymore. What's your favorite restaurant in Nashville? My favorite restaurant, Martin's Barbecue, is like one of my staples. Have you had Hattie B's hot chicken? No, and so I haven't. And here's why, though. Have you had Shut the Cluck Up? I no, but here's why. Party Fowl is my next door neighbor. And Party Fowl has amazing chicken. So why walk to Hattie B's, stand in line, or drive to Hattie B's when I could walk across the street, belly up to the bar, and a couple of the bartenders know I live there and I get a gulch 10% discount? Oh, that's good. Hey, so when Laney and I used to live in Burkdale, um, we lived like, I don't know, several miles away from where we used to now, but same general vicinity of Charlotte. 
uh, when we lived in Burkdale for 17 years, we would go to the restaurants, a couple of them specifically, Bricks Pizza, uh, Bricks Wood-Fired Pizza. We became friends with all the staff and the management staff, and they would give us unbelievable discounts. Uh, Ease, there's a great sushi place in Burkdale. They know, like I sit down and the one girl's like, she goes, vodka or beer? Because she knows those are the two ways because they have half-off drafts Monday through Thursday. So You're not a huge beer way. guy, though. Uh, if it's I like free, it. you like it. Well, I, I, it depends on my mood. I lately have been on one. And I also, I love a good draft beer. There's something about it. And the other restaurant that I've taken you, there's this taco place. Oh, yeah, that's place Right next awesome. to me, too. And they Isn't are that good where enough. MJ was going to get the cigars? Uh, right, there's a thing right called Monte, yeah, right, Monte Cristo is where he was going to go. But the other week, I think it might have been when you guys were in town and I was too hungover to make it, I ordered Uber Eats from this taco place and got a, like a breakfast, breakfast tacos. Oh my gosh, they were the best tacos I think I've ever had. Now granted, I was hungover, so needed it, so it had that added benefit, but man, the, that place is amazing. My golf game is improving. I still suck real bad. But what, so what so what is sucking for you though? Like uh, what's I mean, I'm I'm if I shoot a hundred, I'm I've had a pretty good day. Okay. Uh which is actually in in speaking with some folks who know a lot more about the game than I do, a hundred is kind of an average golfer. I mean, you know, if if you if you can break a hundred, you're right at average. You I mean, also if you don't shoot you don't ninety five to one hundred five. That's what most people do. You also don't go out there and go to the driving range and go and work on your putting and chipping like well, it's, you know, it's most changed do. a lot for me. And the reason it's changed a lot for me recently in the last couple of years is. I was never terribly interested in playing the game because I was far more interested in allotting the small window of time that I have when I'm not working, when I'm not dadding, to endurance sports. You know, go out and run however many miles or go out and cycle however many miles. And I still love to do that because I'm a little bit of a, a fitness nerd. I like to, to stay fit, and in, in my line of work, it's really important to do that as much running around as we do. It's important to make sure that you're fit and that you eat right and that you don't put yourself in a position where your body's going to break down from exhaustion. And so I try really hard to stay something that resembles fit. I'm nowhere close to as fit as I once was, but, but still, still doing skinny. okay. Still doing okay for mid-40s. But – in the last year or so, I have really – like golf offers so many benefits that are not just going out there and having beers. There is an amazing way to reduce distractions in your life by being out there on the golf course with a buddy or two or three and enjoying the beauty of your environment. And enjoying the uh, like the competition together, but the competition against self, the competition against that environment. That's one thing I always loved about endurance running. It's you against you. It, there's no, there's nothing there but you and the clock. And if you get in a position where you're racing against somebody else, then you're out of your element and you're going to lose. What's up, boss? Dude, big fan, Marty. I appreciate you having me on, man. Well, likewise, brother. When Travis told me, this is Travis, by the way, my producer. He's a, an Ohio State Buckeye, so, Jordan, you can hold that against him all, uh, all day long. <laughs> You're welcome for Joe Burrow. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's right. That's the great gift that the, the state of Ohio gave Louisiana is Joe Burrow. 100%. Man. We, we may as well start with LSU, man. Oof. That was a that was a rough one on Saturday. Huh? It was a very rough one on Saturday, but the volunteers are really good. Yeah, uh, they and they did that without Cedric Tillman, who is arguably the most talented guy on the roster. So they are very good. 
Uh, I was actually yeah. in Baton Rouge on Thursday to, to sit Coach Kelly down for uh, college game day in SEC Nation, and he was extremely bullish on where they were going. They have to get more aggressive offensively, as all of you who are fans know. Uh, they have to be willing to take risks and try to fit the ball in windows and stretch the field, but they'll get there. Like, he's a great coach. I mean, he's a really good football coach. He is. He is. And that's not a, you know, to and, – and I have to check myself on this, too. It's like, man, he's coming into a major program with a very fierce fan base, and it could have been anybody. Like, it does – you know – it could have been it could have been Nick Saban, and if he loses two games, we're we're already wondering what's happening. And the bottom line is like you know LSU's not a great football team, and that's just kind of what I keep telling myself is we have talent. Um, I think we're going to get there, but you know right now it's 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 a rebuilding process, and we don't like to hear that as fans, but that's exactly what it is. It, it absolutely is, and it's funny that you say that 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 you guys are such not only a, a, a rabidly passionate fan base, but one that has high expectations. And that was one of the questions that I had for Coach Kelly on Thursday down in Baton Rouge is, Jordan, he came from Notre Dame. He coached at Notre Dame for 12 years. He took him to college football playoffs. He never did win one. But they played at a very, very high level. And when you are at Notre Dame, when you don't have any conference affiliation, there's only one damn reason for playing, and that's national titles. Yeah. And so that's the expectation in South Bend. So he actually has spent more than a decade with that weight on him. So that's actually, in my estimation, quite a benefit going to a fan base that has those expectations, a fan base that three years ago had what, in my opinion, is the greatest college football team ever. That, that, I agree. <laughs> that 2019 team was just stupid. It was, it was ridiculous. And, that, and I think that that's another reason why it's really hard right now to be an LSU fan is because – we saw what was there in 2019, of course. but you know that's a, it's like like I said, it's, we, we have to we have to be where we're at, and where we're at right now is a team with a lot of talent, a really good football coach, and we just got to let that play out. Um, so you know this year is, you know if we can get to six wins, great. Um, I, I'd rather just I don't care what our win total is. I just hope that with every week, Coach Kelly gets more comfortable. Uh, and, and we see some some progress through a lot of this young talent. Jordan Davis joins us now, not the former University of Georgia defensive tackle, now with the Philadelphia Eagles, but the country music star whose career is in a moment where it is taken off. Brother, congratulations for all your success. Let's start with LSU. What was your experience at LSU? Oh, five and a half of the best years of my life. <laughs> Hey man, hey! Don't knock yeah. the five and a half year plan. That's a good. Yeah. That's a good strategy in my mind. Except for my kids, listen, you don't. You're not on that plan unless it's coming that, off of your hip. That's just for dad. Dad can only do five. <laughs> Everybody else is four. Uh, no, you know, growing up, I was born and raised in Shreveport, Louisiana. So, you know, LSU was day one. We were Tiger fans. Uh, you know, my whole middle school, high school career was to get to LSU. Um, you know, and then you get down there and it lived up to everything. You know, not just the, as y'all both know, you know, Saturdays in Death Valley are special. But, uh, man, sports down there is special. The basketball program, uh, baseball at Alex Box, old Alex Box whenever I was down there. As a, as a sports fan, um, there was always something there with, with just a passionate fan base that I loved. Uh, not to mention, too, you know, the university is something that, uh, I hold very dear to my heart. You know, I feel like I grew up a lot uh, as a as just a man at LSU. Uh, I met some lifelong friends. I just hold it in such a, uh, you know, it's just such a special place to me. Not just, you know, the amazing football seasons I was there for, but, uh, you know, the school, the people I met. It was a special, special, special place. How do those guys that you went to LSU with that are still your buddies, I mean, they knew you when. How do they react to the amazing success you're having in Nashville? You know, Marty, what's crazy is I never, I never played in Baton Rouge. <clears throat> I never, I never did any open mic nights. I was always writing songs, uh, you know, and I always had a guitar. And if we were around a campfire, you know, hanging out, you know, I'd play a few tunes. But I never really made it. Uh, I never moved to Nashville to be a singer to do the whole artist thing. 
it kind of found me uh, kind of in a backwards way. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's great to have those guys because, you know, they, they're like, dude, I knew you when you were bartending at Fleming's in Baton Rouge. <laughs> You know, just talking about going to Nashville, uh, I feel like anytime, probably much like for you, you know, it's 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 good to have those guys that kind of keep you in check and be like, hey man, don't ever don't ever get too big for your britches, dude. I knew you when you were a busboy at Fleming's, you know. So uh, it's actually it's been really fun. What was your signature drink at Fleming's? Man, they had like a it was like a tropical martini. I wasn't really a big fan of it. Uh, it was like rum, uh, pineapple juice. Orange juice and cranberry juice, I think. That ain't a so, very Cajun offering no, right there, Jordan. No, but apparently I was just really good at making it. So there was always people <laughs> that would come in, and they'd be like, hey, get that guy to make my tropical martini. So I, I, I guess I had the magic touch for that one. But, uh, no, I mean, my favorite drink to make is in Manhattan. That's my that's my go-to. Well, the first thing I see on the gram is you with a can of camo bush light. So you're trading those fancy pants martinis for a cold can of bush. I mean, hey, I'm at the heart of it. I'm still a cold beer guy, but uh, especially you throw some camo on anything, and I'm I'm pretty quick to buy it. <laughs> Jordan, we were talking about Jägermeister earlier before you came on. What's your thoughts on that, dude? That took me right back to bogeys in Baton Rouge as a junior. <laughs> Did you just throw up in your mouth just a little bit? It it really did kind of get my stomach there for a second. <laughs> Not a fan. Not a fan of Jägermeister. I have, I did partake in my younger days, but I, I, I no longer, uh, no longer partake in Jägermeister. I was telling Travis, brother, that we were in Starkville this weekend. Uh, I had the Arkansas Mississippi State game, and we're, I'm sitting at, I'm sitting at the bar, and at walk-ons, in Starkville, and this old boy walks up. Oh, Chuck. Uh, puts two shots of Jaeger in front of me. And I was like, brother, I, I am so grateful for your kindness. Thank you for the gesture, but that ain't that just not going to happen. Like, in no world am I going to take those shots. No chance. He let them sit there. He let them sit there. Well, over the next hour, he came over. He threw his arm around me. Hey, man, you late. And he'd grab one of them and just fire it back. I mean, I saw that dude take like five shots of Jaeger. God bless him. The next morning must have been hell on wheels, boy. Starkville, man, I've I've had some wild nights in Starkville. They know how to throw down over there. Uh, you've written with legends. You know, you, you mentioned that you moved to Nashville to write songs and that that the artist side just kind of found you. I can relate a little bit. I'm a writer by trade myself, studied print journalism in college, was a newspaper reporter for the first several years of my career, and then ESPN called out of nowhere. I fell into TV, so to a degree I kind of understand – what you mean. I mean, yeah. but you've written with Ashley Gorley and Hillary Lindsay. And I mean, these are legends, man. Hall of Famers. Yeah. What's the process of being a new guy coming to town and getting in rooms with folks like that? You know, my first thing was those were like Ashley, uh, Hillary. I've been with Tom Douglas, uh, Casey Bethard, like goats, man. Like goats. And, I think going into them, I had to kind of just – first off, I, I knew every right going into – you know, if you sit down with Casey or Tom, you have to be like, hey, man, I'm a huge fan. Like, if I if I fanboy a little bit, that's just because what you've done has inspired me to be a better writer and, and move to Nashville. And I, I felt like that always kind of helped me get the elephant out of the room to where I didn't feel like I – had to be too cool for school or, or act like I didn't know who they were. Uh, and, and I think that that really did help me um, just write better songs with those guys. Now they're, you know, somewhat buddies and I write with them on a regular basis, but um, it really was dude, Marty, those first couple of days writing in with those guys, it was, you know, it, it's just a pinch me moment of like, how did I get here? Like, what did I do? to get in a room with, with guys that have written the best songs that have ever been written. Well, try to try to answer that for me. How, how, what was that path? I mean, you know, I moved in 2012. Um, I, I bartended for almost five years, uh, even when I got to Nashville. You know, just trying to find a way to pay the bills and still write a little bit on the side. Most of the time I'd only write in the afternoons. Um, I know you're – 
kind of familiar with a lot of writers in town. So it's like most of the time it's 11, 10 a.m. is when right. people are kind of starting. Uh, so I would have to write late. Uh, I think that the best thing for me was I, I was blessed enough to get to meet a lot of great writers early on that instead of pushing me away, instead of being like, yeah, he's not ready yet. Um, you know, they kind of guided me along and said like, Hey man, here's where you're weak. Here's where you're strong. Here's where you can be a better songwriter. Um, you know, and those guys kind of helped me learn early on that, Hey dude, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. For five years, I just kind of crafted and, and was just did little things to make me a better writer or a better, better, like co-writer in a room. You know, how can I be a better third writer, you know, and stay out of their way and, but still contribute to the song. Um, so that was really kind of what, what helped me become a better writer, but man, it was perseverance. I mean, that's the thing I tell people that I, I meet every day. That's like, dude, if you, if you move to Nashville, you know, it's, they say it's a 10 year town and I truly believe that, uh, you know, it, it takes, a, it takes a while to, to get to where you're writing songs that are at a level that are good enough to be heard in this town. Well, you also had familial influences. Uh, I, I read where, you know, your uncle wrote Better Man, Better Off. I mean, get out of here. Tracy's yeah. a god. Yeah. What, what, what was that influence? And even if it was just by osmosis, being in yeah. a room talking with, with family members who had that talent. Yeah, my uncle Stan, uh, he moved to town late 80s. And, you know, so I, I, I can't really take – the stance of like, oh, I've I sold it all, moved to Nashville and, you know, try to be, because my Uncle Stan did that. He laid the groundwork for me and my brother both to get to town. And, you know, it doesn't hurt whenever you have an uncle that's had some big hits with Tracy Lawrence. You know, that usually gets you at least a conversation <laughs> with a few people. Right. Uh, but I think, you know, from we, I wouldn't be where I'm at if it weren't for my uncle being, you know, telling me exactly what I just told you. It's like, hey, you're going to move to town. It's going to take a little bit of time. Like, you know, if you're thinking you're going to move to Nashville and in four years you're going to have songs on the radio and a notebook full of guys that you can write with every day, he's like, that's not going to happen. Uh, it's going to take a lot of work. And it's, it took more work than I ever thought it would take to write songs. You know, that seems very simple. But, uh, but yeah, having Uncle Stan there to, to call or, or, you know, if I hit kind of a roadblock, just, you know, ask him, how would you get out of this? You know, how would you, you navigate this? Um, I mean, it was it was huge in getting me where I'm at now. How did the artist side fall into your lap? At least it, se it that's, seems to be the way that, that you're describing it. How, how yeah. did you find the artist side? So I, it really kind of came out of desperation, to be honest with you. I've, I've been here for – this was coming up on six years, and I didn't have a publishing deal, and my meetings were kind of starting to go – kind of starting to flutter out, you know, I, I – I feel like four or five years in, I was getting a lot of meetings and I feel like there was a lot of attention on me and then it kind of just stopped and I still felt like I was writing good songs. Uh, but I remember I, I sent some songs in to a publisher in town and, uh, and I wanted to pitch them to David Nail and Eric Pasley. Mm. And uh, it was a song of mine called Slow Dance in a Parking Lot. And they both passed on it. Good. It worked and, out yeah. for you, Bubba. And that's exactly <laughs> what, you know, my, my buddy, Ben Strange, still one of my closest friends today, he goes, dude, why don't you sing these songs? And I was like, man, I am singing the song. I wrote it. It's on the demo. And he goes, no, no, no. You book a show and you go and you sing these songs. And that was really the first time where I was like, oh, I don't know. And I don't know if it was like a confidence thing where I didn't think that, you know, I didn't think that I could do that or if I didn't think that I had the voice to do that, or I don't know what it was, but it just took that one person being like, hey, man, quit, tr quit trying to get other people to sing these songs. You go sing them. And, um, and that was really the first domino that fell. I, I booked a show, uh, you know, blessed enough to have somebody in the crowd that worked at a record label. Unreal, and man. That, 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 is, that is unbelievable that that's how it's, it went down. It's wild, yeah. Who was the person in the crowd? Like, how how did that go down? Like, that's the that's what people see, Jordan. When people yeah. when 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 aspiring artists move to Nashville, Tennessee, and they're naive about how all this works and what a yeah. damn ruthless town it is, they think I'm gonna go book a gig down here at Aldine's, 
and I'm going to go up on that stage, and I'm going to play 74 covers, and I'm going to sing two of my original songs, and Mike Dungan's going to be sitting in the crowd, and he's going to go, damn, that's the next Eric Church right there. That ain't how it works, man. At least I didn't – I mean, work – how did that go down? No, I uh, – so I knew that I was super green. Uh, so I actually booked two shows in Birmingham, Alabama, on okay. a Monday and a Tuesday, back-to-back. So I went down, I played these shows, and dude, Marty, the first the first night I played a show, full band, first ever full band show I played, there was the sound guy, there was two bartenders, and then there was one guy at the end of the bar playing the, you know the bar game where you like pick out the things in the, like, it's like two pictures and you got to pick out the Yes, thing. yes. Right, he was, he was playing that, and I could not have – he didn't even know I was in the room. I know, like, man. I get it. Even, and so we worked out a lot of kinks there, um, and then I finally felt like I was like, all right, I'm, I'm at least comfortable enough to play a show in Nashville. And uh, I booked a writer's round just to, you know, went, I, I wanted to play my stuff. I played four songs. Uh, there was a girl named Stephanie Wright in the crowd that works at Universal, and that was the start of our relationship. And we stayed in contact for, and even that night, you know, her, her coming up to me was not like, oh my God, I'm so blown away by your music. It was literally like, hey, I love your songwriting. I like your voice. I can tell you're really green, but I, I want to continue this conversation. I think that you have something. And that and was what that, year? That was 2015. And that was just the start of like, you know, monthly conversations of like, all right, where am I weak? Like, where do I, you know, where do I, where do I need to get better as a performer? Because then all that kind of comes into it. It's not just the song anymore. It's like, you know, how do I entertain a crowd? How do I make a set list? I'd never made a set list. Like, you know, I didn't know the flow of like, of, of how a show should go. So uh, that was the start in 2015. I met Dungan in 2017 and it was, uh, it was, I was a universal guy ever since. And now, I mean, now you've built these amazing friendships and relationships with some of the biggest stars in a format. And I want to start with Luke Bryan, because yeah. obviously by dirt was this transformational moment for you in your career. That was a, a, a great time of fellowship with him. How would you describe his influence on your life? You know, Luke was the radio when I was growing like in college, man, we were, you know, Luke Bryan was the guy we'd sit around a fire, drink beer, and listen to his music. Like, he hates he hates me saying that because he's like, man, don't you're aging me, bro. But uh, <laughs> I mean, that's that was it. You know, that's what we, you know, that that was the guy. So when I moved to town, you know, you're writing songs trying to get cuts by Luke Bryan. Like he's he's the he's the top guy. Um, I met Luke at a after I signed with Universal. I, I met Luke at a golf thing out at golf course south of nashville and uh i i was actually able i didn't play with him but after the round we sat around a fire smoked a cigar and just kind of talked about life music his path how he got here uh, so i feel like that's when i kind of got to meet luke as as the guy not just a performer um and stayed in contact with him anytime i you know Anytime I had a question or a song that I thought he might like, I'd send over to him. But when we finished by dirt, uh, I just felt like that song, that song was Luke. I mean, uh, you know, he's got farms all over town. He loves being outside hunting, fishing. That's truly what he lives for. Uh, so I knew that by dirt was going to resonate with him. Um, I sent it over to him in a text and just told him, man, this song means a lot to me and I'd love for you to be a part of it. And he got right back to me. He's like, man, I love this song. Uh, but the cool thing that Luke did was he was like, man, I don't do a lot of collabs. Let me live with this for a week. And let me see if I'm right for the song. And if I am, I I'll jump on it. And he did, man. He, he made me sweat it out for like 12 days. And then he called <laughs> me and he was like, all right, I'll sing it with you. <laughs> How'd you react when he when he agreed? Ooh, uh, man, I was, it was a cool story. I was sitting on the couch with my father-in-law. It was Sunday I think we were watching a golf tournament or something. I had my phone on the couch and I looked down and Luke Bryan Luke said, Luke Bryan called. And my father-in-law looked over and goes, Hey man, I think you might want to answer that. <laughs> so I picked it up. He was like, man, I, I love this song. I want to sing on it. And dude, I was over the moon, man. I was, uh, I knew it was a special song 
without Luke, but having Luke on it, man, I knew it was just going to take it to the next level. There's another Luke that you're kind of hanging out with a little bit these days. What, what about Luke Combs? What's his, what's his influence? Man, that's a guy that I think I first heard Combs in 2011. I think he was playing like the Georgia Theater. Um, just blown away by his voice, by his songwriting. Uh, and then, you know, through a couple of mutual friends, I know Dan and Reed. Uh, My boys. So, yeah, man, those guys. I met them before I met Luke. And then whenever, you know, I know, you know how good of dudes those are. So the, the second that I found out that they were kind of hanging out with Luke and writing, I was like, all right, this guy must be just salt of the earth. Uh, so, and sure enough, man, that's exactly who Luke Combs is. Obviously an amazing performer, entertainer of the year, songwriter. But, I mean, what you see with Luke is – He's that exact same guy that I saw at Georgia Theater in 2010 that I see every weekend on tour selling out arenas and, uh, you know, stadiums next year. Uh, so, man, you love to pull for those guys, and, and you just hope the world for them. And, uh, I, I, it's, it's good to – I'm glad that me and him have become pretty good buddies over these past couple months. He's the most unaffected famous person I've ever met, I think. I mean, he's hey. just completely unaffected by it it's in any crazy. way. And, you know, and still, you know, the other night we were hanging out and he's like, man, I want to, he's like, man, I hate to do this, but can I play you some of my new record? And I was kind of like, heck yeah, dude. <laughs> I was like, dude, turn it up. And uh, Yeah, hell yeah, you can. He sat there and drank beer and listened. I mean, his new stuff is, dude, it's unreal. And uh, it's still just, yeah, like you said, man, just as humble and grateful um, as, as he can be. So. You were with time. him, I think. Uh, so he did the college game day picking at Appalachian State, and he had flown from Green Bay and flew right back to Green Bay. Did he just come blowing in there like a bat out of hell? I mean, dude, can't, like landed at like 4 p.m. Um, you know, he starts his meet and greet at like 5.15. The cool thing, and that's the thing too, is like, you know, a lot of people, it's like it would have been so easy for Luke to be like, look, man, I flew out of here this morning. I did game day. I came back to – push, you know, push, push meet and greet, not do VIP, do all that stuff. Dude, he didn't miss a beat, man. He did meet and greet, did his VIP and went up there and absolutely crushed his show. Um, but I do want to take credit for him switching LSU that day. He was the only one that went LSU and they did win. <laughs> you you but, had a, you strong armed him into it. I did. I did. I, I told him that, that going with Mississippi State on that one would have been bad. Who's the better golfer, you or him? <sighs> Me, but not by much. <laughs> I think if Luke, you know, he's 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 close to being a pretty good golfer. He gets really frustrated, uh, like so so frustrated that I have a, a video of us for ten minutes trying to get his six iron out of a tree. <laughs> but it's uh, he he's he's a pretty good golfer. He he just needs a little bit of time on the range. You look like you're playing a lot, man. You playing a lot. I'm playing too much to be as bad as I am. I, I, I know that. Uh, no, you know, at, being on the road, it's kind of tough to, you know, you're just killing time. So, you know, so it's this is terrible to say, and I regret it one day. I'm actually playing too much golf. Uh, like some days I wake up and I'm like, I don't even want to go play, but it's either that or sit around on the bus and do nothing all day. So I'm I just learning. Well. I love it. I'm eat up with it. I mean, eat up. I, I truly think it's something about just like you can always be better. Like, you know, even the guys that I play with, you know, Luke's buddy Harp is a scratch golfer. Yeah, he's really good. And, like, there's still things that he's always like, ah, oh, man, I can do this. I'm like, well, dude, I'll, I'll take I'll take being a five handicap, which is probably half of his handicap. But uh, it is, it's a game that you can always get better at. I read that you like artists who take risks. Who does that in Nashville these days? Well, I mean, you know, I think Luke Combs is a guy that I look to as a risk. You know, I mean, Beautiful Crazy is a song that I remember the first time hearing about it being a piano ballad and going to radio. You know, it's kind of like, ah, people don't do that a lot these days, man. I don't think that's going to work. And it worked out really, really well for him. Um, I think, you know, one of, the, one of my main artists is Eric Church. Eric Church from day one has been – He's been the outsider, man. Like, you know, he's the guy that I feel like 
you know, kind of had a chip on his shoulder from, from day one, um, you know, and, and just did it his way and it worked out. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, those are, those are the two that really stand out. I think, uh, you know, Hardy, my buddy Hardy, Morgan, those are guys that are writing songs that, that only they can write and, and putting them out and kind of, and, and doing, doing, doing what they do. Um, so those are some that I see as kind of trailblazers in, in this new age of artists that are, that are kind of following in that, that church, church mode. I know it's funny. He's like, Eric's become grandpa. He's turned into damn Merle Haggard. Like every, every one of you young guys is like, man, Eric church is God. I mean, Thomas Rhett's singing about him. Morgan singing about him. Luke singing about him. And Eric, like he's aware of that. He's yeah. aware that all of you guys hold him in that unbelievable esteem, and you damn sure should. I mean, yeah. he's the greatest of all time. He, I, I agree. mean, I'm I am a humongous highwayman guy. I love all four of those guys have had a tremendous influence on shaping my love for music at all, but certainly country music. And yeah. you know, Eric is the fifth highwayman. I agree. He is. Man, that's, uh... And dude, that's you know, it's. I think every artist strives to kind of to have that career path. I know, I know, it's probably wasn't easy at all. Man, I saw Eric Church in two thousand seven at the Varsity Theater in Baton Rouge, and it was half full. Like that was two thousand seven, and now he's the chief. And um, but you know, he was the exact same. He put on the exact same show and the same energy and the band you know it it was the same it was the same Eric Church in 27 in 2007 that it is today and um you know it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to do a lot of times i feel like there's things that want to change you uh you know <clears throat> or you think you're doing something that your fans don't want you to do instead of just trusting your gut and going with your heart and being like no this is who i am as an artist and i'm going to stick with it and and church is Church is the guy that, that did that better than anybody. And just told him. Yeah. It ain't a middle finger on a T-shirt the establishment's yeah. trying to sell. It's a guy with the balls who told the establishment to go to hell. I mean, dude, that gives me chill bumps. Come right? on now. <laughs> I play that every Saturday before my little television show to the whole crowd. I yep. turn it up to the entire – everybody. And, I mean, it's like – Armageddon out there because all them college kids are drunk as piss <laughs> and then that song comes on and it's la it's lathered up and ready to ride bro it's over. <laughs> sorry man I get fired I done I done started sweating got on my yeah, damn puffy dude, vest it. <laughs> I know you gotta go but I got two more if you got a second hey I got dude I, we can talk all day man I, I, I appreciate you having me on one of the great probably the greatest perspective adjusters in my experience and my walk is fatherhood how has fatherhood impacted your perspective on the opportunity to do what you do oh man I think the, the main thing that becoming a dad has has taught me uh, is how selfish I was how everything everything came back to me or my career um and man, it even taught me how selfish I was in my marriage as being a husband. Uh, and I think when, you know, you come, I had this conversation with, with Thomas Rhett where he says, man, there's nothing like being on the road for a weekend and having everybody kind of cater to you and, you know, what do you need to have the show go? And then you get home and your daughter asks for a cup of milk. And if you don't bring it, she goes, Hey dad, where's my milk at? You know? Um, I think for me, it's, it's, you know, it's put me, I'm doing what I'm doing for really not me. It's for my two kids, my wife, my family, uh, trying to give them a life that, um, you know, I, I, I never got. Uh, so it's been, um, that's really been the thing for me is just how, how humbling it's, it's been to be a dad. And it, you know, wakes I wake up every day with, with them kind of first in my mind and, and ready to go do whatever I got to do to, to make their life a little bit easier. Yeah, it's funny. But that perspective that that gives you, you're so right. It's like 
you're the guy on the stage in the spotlight or you're the guy in my context on the camera in the spotlight at these amazing experiences all over and you come home and you know you got to go change a diaper yep like that there's no greater perspective on hey man you you really ain't shit so you may as well just go over and change that poo-poo all right (laughs) speaking of perspective and unbelievable dreams you played the rhyming recently yeah all right how do you quantify playing the mother church i mean to be honest with you like i'm still not even over those two nights like you know we had a show this past weekend and it you know it it just made me miss the rhyming even more um you know i got to tour the rhyming when i was probably seven years old i came we came up to visit my uncle and we walked around it and I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember seeing backstage and, you know, the stories about what would go on backstage or, or how the balcony used to wrap all the way around. Uh, you know, seeing some of those dresses that they had from Minnie Pearl and, you know, just legends of country music. Uh, and at the time, I never thought I'd be doing what I'm doing. And, and then you move to Nashville and you still go to it because it still means that much to to the genre and to what you're trying to do. Um, but for me, man, it just put into perspective how blessed I am to just have a little bitty mention in country music, you know, uh, being able to say that I played that stage. Um, my grandfather telling stories about him coming down from Fort Campbell and buying a ticket to the Grand Ole Opry and, and watching Farron Young, uh, who was his favorite, like, you know, on that stage. Um, and to be honest with you, like, it's, it's kind of got me emotional, you know, thinking about it uh, up there playing. Um, just the history that's been in that room and the groundwork that place played for the career that I have today. Like, you know, it's just, I'm just very grateful for it. And, um, yeah, that's two nights I'll, I'll never forget. Well, uh, I appreciate you sharing, brother. Thank you for your spirit. Uh Brand new single out. Best of luck with that. Midnight Crisis with Danielle Bradbury. Thrilled for you. Uh, All your success. And go Tigers. Hey, go Tigers, baby. Dude, seriously, Marty, thank you so much for having me on, man. Looking forward to hanging soon. You're good. What an absolute stud. Uh, I, I, I just appreciate somebody who has the kind of success that he's experiencing. And, guys, what he just said does not happen. It doesn't. It doesn't happen in Nashville, Tennessee, where, like, it it happens for guys who go as writers, who aspire to be songwriters that end up being artists. Hardy is one of them. He's like the latest superstar example of that dynamic. But it doesn't happen where you put together a little band and you go play a couple showcases and some an executive is actually there. And the executive that's actually there walks up to you and goes, you know what, you're pretty good. I'm going to invest my time in you before I invest my money. But if you show me that you want it and you continue to improve and you're coachable, I'm going to start investing my money. And now here he is playing stadiums with Luke Holmes. I mean, it's, uh, it's, a, it's the American dream. I mean, he opened for Brooks and Dunn. We were talking about them earlier. Like, he uh-huh. opened for them. And I was uh, watching an interview he did with Bobby Bones, and he's saying that Brooks and Dunn even told him, like, you can go more than 30 minutes. Like, open for people that don't know, like, openers only get, like, 30, 35. They, they told him, like, you can go longer if you want. Like, he opened for <laughs> Brooks and Dunn. Like, yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and uh, the perspective he just gave us on fatherhood hit me right in the heart, right in my soul, because he's so right. And, it, of course, T.R. has that kind of perspective. Uh, he's got 97 kids, I think. And so it's just awesome to get to spend time with, with guys like Jordan. Can't wait to see him play on Saturday night. Hopefully I'll make it in time for his set. And certainly I'm looking forward to that camo bush light he's going to hand me. I, the camo bush light is good, but my favorite is the farmer, the corn one. That is my favorite bush light can. Yeah, the John Deere bush light can With is the cor- off the chain. It's just like it, when you see it, like it's great marketing because when I see it at the grocery store, I might maybe going to get Coors Light or something else. But if I see that corn can bush light, you better believe I'm gra- grabbing that instead. Well, that's like, good because, I mean, we need to support farmers, period. 
you got to understand, guys, that stuff that's on your table, a lot of it, is straight from their hard work. And I grew up working on my family farm. I appreciate so much what our farmers do every day and the truckers that get the farmer's life's work to the stores or the farmer's market at which we can purchase it and put it on our table. So thank you to all the farmers. Speaking of food, how are you handling uh, Marty McGee and SEC Nation with the food that they're bringing out? At, at One, it's something that a lot of food you don't typically eat to begin with, and then they're bringing it out at such an early time. How are you? Well, just, how is your I don't body? eat breakfast. I choose against eat. Like, we're, we're blessed. Parker Daigle, Stephen Hensler, and Nolan and Seabass and all the guys that work so hard in the ops department to keep Tim Tebow, Jordan Rogers, Laura Rutledge, Roman Harper, Paul Feinbaum, Ryan McGee, fed and, and cared for. They work their asses off every single day. And if we need it, they figure out a way to make it happen. Our ops team is second to none. They're speaking, unbelievable. Speaking of food, we, let's go to beverages real quick. Uh, Coffee Talk with Mike Leach. Is that like the best interview you've ever had in your life? Well, uh, I got called a lot of names for it. Uh, it w- it went it did go viral. Would you consider that viral? Yes. I don't know how many views I it on, was. I saw it on TikTok many times. I was told by uh, our production group that it was viral before we left. Yes, Davis Wade Stadium. So, look, uh, Coach Leach. I'm just going to give you all the backstory. Because the backstory is interesting. Coach Leach did not want to do a lot of media. In fact, he didn't want to do any media when we got to Starkville. Uh, he, was, he was so laser-focused on what he believes is a great opportunity with this football team. And he's right. They're really good. His quarterback, Will Rogers, is really good. He's now the all-time completions leader in the Southeastern Conference in the history of the Southeastern Conference. Kind of good. Decent. I mean, there was a guy named Joe Burrow. Now, granted, he only played two years there. Uh, there's been some, uh, uh, some guys called Peyton Manning. I mean, there's a guy named Peyton Manning who played in the SEC for four seasons. Eli Manning. A guy named, uh, named Eli Manning who played in the SEC. So, there's been some decent guys come through there. Uh, a guy named Archie Manning, you know, he, he was all right. A guy named Heath Shuler, I mean, he, he was all right. And so, Coach Leach was not terribly interested in doing a lot of media. And we knew that. And so, basically, when I got to the football stadium on Saturday, so, so okay, last block, last segment of Marty and McGee, I had to leave the show and run uh, our, our security guys through, put me in a golf cart. They whisked me over to the stadium. I jumped into the stadium, down the stands, onto the football field. And I'm basically playing defense. I'm waiting at the entrance for the team so that I can reach and slide, stop, drop, and roll, tackle, whatever I got to do to stop Mike Leach. Well, I knew that he wasn't going to stop. I knew it was going to be a walk and talk interview. So as I'm going, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm going to ease into this. I'm going to ease into this. Uh, It's obvious to me, Coach, that you are – locked in in a unique way because he's always funny he's always really jovial he's always like so thoughtful and pontificates all I mean all over the place when we ask him questions that is not his modus operandi like this this past weekend he was right here boom because he knows he has a special opportunity with this team and that Arkansas was a big hurdle so I asked him that question what did he give me Travis 10 word eight words maybe yeah I wanted to ask about Will Rogers. I think Will Rogers is probably the most underappreciated, underrated player in college football. What makes him different? What makes him special? He elevates everyone on the team. I think that was the answer. Another eight words. So it's it's a little awkward. All right? It's a little awkward. And so I went in for another question. Ten words. And I noticed he had his coffee. And I had just put my coffee down on the sideline. So 
there was potential I could have been holding my coffee if I just decided to keep. I saw that he had his coffee. And it was early. I mean, it was 11 o'clock kickoff. I interviewed him at like 9 o'clock. So I was like, I see you got your coffee there. How do you take your coffee? What's the best way to take your coffee? And he was hilarious. He was vintage Mike Leach. Vintage Mike Leach. And it did go viral. And Travis, I went to the airport. Uh, all right, so I drove from Starkville. I had to get to San Diego, California. All right, so I didn't get to stay for the game. I didn't fly home. I had to go to the Birmingham airport, which is two and a half hours from Starkville. Drove there myself, returned to rental, went into Birmingham airport, flew to Dallas, through Dallas to San Diego. So I had to go. I get to the Birmingham airport. TSA guy, TSA guy goes, hey, how about that coffee? <laughs> so I'm just giggling. I get to the Dallas airport. I go into the Dallas Admirals Club, the American Airlines Admirals Club. The dude checking me in, works for American Airlines, goes, hey, man, I saw that coffee thing. That was funny as hell. And I'm sitting here going, this is what I said to him. I'm like, I go to Costa Rica to do these like super inspirational features. I go to, you know. San Diego. All right, all over the place to do these meaty uh, features that we spend all this time researching and preparing to be excellent. And I will forever be remembered for belly flopping into a waterfowl commode in Boone, North Carolina in a full suit and asking Mike Leach how he takes his coffee. That's my tombstone <laughs> stuff right there. Whatever. I don't know. We, Whatever we works. Need, we need to send uh, Mike Leach. I, I'm afraid we probably shouldn't send him any outsider coffee because then he, since he doesn't clearly like it, then yeah, he might. Yeah, might be coffee guy. <laughs> Maybe send him either. some outsider cigars. I bet he's a cigar guy. Send him some beer. That's Send him some cold beer. I know yeah. he's a cold beer guy. Yeah, he loves that. But, yeah, I, I saw it on TikTok numerous times from different just like just popping up on my page nobody it wasn't people that i follow or anything you know what's interesting what's interesting is when so i have a you know distinct and unique hairdo and i didn't like it's always fascinating to me to you know go to social media and realize like how polarizing my hair is it's like a polarizing thing man like it's weird some people like like, what's, here's, a, here's what's weird. Like, you don't even know what's weird. You see the feedback that I receive that it's like a four-year-old's haircut and all those things. That's fine. You guys can have whatever opinion you want about my hair because my wife loves my hair. And Not here's the real interesting part. There's t this is a two-part comment. Number one, that these renowned, uber-accomplished makeup and hair artists that work with celebrities all the time comment how amazing my hairdo is, okay? So that's this side. That's side A. Well, the B side is the people who say, you look like an idiot. You need to get a grown-up haircut. You look Here's like what's interesting. Here's what's interesting about those comments, though. The vast percentage of times when I get that feedback it's by a guy whose hairline is running away from his forehead like a scalded dog. It's always middle-aged men, too. Yeah, it's really, it's just really it's interesting. Weird, I, I, saw, I saw a tweet uh, this morning, and, it, and I, before I clicked the profile, I could have probably described the person without even What did looking. the tweet say? Oh, it was about your, your hair and how it... Um, uh, it should be McGee and Marty and oh yeah I responded to that guy. yeah I saw that yeah 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 but it's a fascinating it's always guys that are obsessed with you and McGee's hair it's a weird thing like I don't quite understand it like it's not your hair like if you don't like it you don't that's fine like if the wife if the wife likes your hair the rest of the world can you forget about it uh, you know it's always just a really interesting thing um all right, shifting gears from that foolishness, let's discuss Academy traditions for a second, Travis. This week, uh, our edition of 
traditions was I went smallmouth bass fishing on the New River in West Virginia. My man Troy Stifler was my guide. Sammy Pugh uh, also helped us out. He works with Troy up there at, at uh, New River Trophy Outfitters up in West Virginia. And I love that state. You know, we know what, what, what we know about West Virginia is it's coal mines, it's coal trains, it's a really small and passionate state about its state. And that new river is the river that I grew up on. I mean, it, it went right through the middle of my hometown. And so when I went up there to hang out with Troy, it was like I was home. It felt like home. It looked like home. It smelled like home. The air felt like home. And being up there with him was just such an awesome day of reminding myself why I'm so grateful that I grew up in a country like that. There's a simplicity to it, man. But the number one thing that I came away with is how, how important it is to folks from West Virginia that the world knows how beautiful West Virginia is. Well, and you're, you're right, because I think there's, there's a misconception stereotype for people that have never been to West Virginia. Sure. And then the people that actually know the area. There is a disconnect. There is. And it's, 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 always, it's always funny to me being in Appalachia. I mean, you know well how I am about this. There is a, there's a certain, there's a certain vision that people have for Appalachia. That it's backwoods, that it's backwards, that they can't relate to anything there. And yes, it is backwoods. And maybe it is hard to relate to it if you grew up in a major metropolitan context. Appalachia is beautiful, and the people are wonderful. And the simplicity that that region projects, and that's the simplicity that that region offers in this crazy-ass chaotic world is something I'm all about. I'm all in. I want to be there. I want to be in that. I want to be in that environment because it allows you to unplug. It allows you to reconnect not only with nature but with each other. And that's what I took away from spending that day in West Virginia on the New River smallmouth bass fishing with Troy. His spirit was unbelievable. He was so proud to be from West Virginia and to share his passion for his home state. And I certainly hope you guys go to academy.com. We'll put the link up. I want you guys to check out how beautiful the region is. You can go up there, New River Trophy Outfitters. You can go to Academy Sports and Outdoors and get everything you need. Academy has everything. I say this all the time. When, but When's the last time you bought a knife, a pocket knife from there? Uh, when I was there <laughs> 10 days ago. It's a problem. My, if Laney was listening, she'd roll her eyes. But – I implore you guys, if you're anywhere, like if you love bass fishing, if you love being outdoors, and even if you don't, if you can introduce somebody else to that, you can unplug, you can spend time together outside, I promise you it'll be so fulfilling. And it certainly was for me being out there with Troy while shooting Academy Traditions. I'm not a huge outdoors person, which should come as no surprise to anybody that listens to this podcast and knows me, but... Uh, twice we did a father-son trip and we went up to Canada and went fishing and fishing is one of those things where man it you're right it is just it's relaxing it's freeing and then you're just it's you and whoever else on the boat just kind of whispering and talking and you know drinking some cold ones and it's fishing's the one thing that if you said hey you want to go fishing tomorrow I would say hell yes let's go it's it it's an awesome thing so I can only imagine what it was like there for you well there's no feeling when when a bass hits a hook. I mean, there's no, there's no feeling like that. When you set the hook, I don't care what fish it is. I'm the, just first you know, using, using bass in, in this context. But 
it's one of the greatest rushes there is because you know you got them, but you don't know what you got. And then, like, if the, the, the one that's coming up, I went grouper fishing down off the coast of, of St. Petersburg, Florida. I mean, you want to talk about some hogs, we'll get into that next week, but 350-pound beast that I caught with my hands. I hand-lined this thing. And I think, I'm pretty sure I broke my right index finger on the side of the boat because that, that grouper just went, screw you, whipped his head, and my hand smashed the side of the boat. That's why we, you need to like stick to golfing and not do anything ath- more athletic. Because if you're having issues with fishing, that you know, we don't need you doing anything. Like I, I know Corey LaJoy had his kickball. I'm glad that you did not participate in that because yeah, I was unable to. I'm thrilled that Corey. It looked like those guys had an awesome time. It looked like uh, that they're, they're, that that event is growing, and I'm thrilled for him. We need to have him back on the podcast here, but. Um, I couldn't participate in it because I was interviewing Brian Kelly in Baton Rouge. You couldn't. You shouldn't. Like, going yeah. forward, you should just be, like, the honorary captain, maybe the referee, maybe it, you, it, you, they televise it and you're the announcer. That's what they should do. They should put on SEC Network and you and McGee just do the announcing for it. That would be hilarious. I played golf last week with Bubba Wallace and Ryan Blaney, and we were on, like, the eighth green, and – Blaney looks over and he goes, hey, you playing in LaJoy's kickball <laughs> tournament? I was like, no. It wasn't Blaney the one that kicked the ball too? Yes. He's still mad at me. He's like, dude, I smoked that thing. You robbed me. I'm like, yeah, I also robbed myself of playing in it for the rest of my life. I mean, still, still screwed up. Uh, all right, thank you to Academy for supporting us. We're so grateful for – their support. I'm so grateful to have uh, the relationship I do with them. Uh, as you can see, I have on my. That's your. That's your. Is that your newest one? Or? Yeah. That's your Shinerbach Magellan uh, collab that Travis and I were at down in Austin, Texas, back during the summertime, with the Randy Rogers band. That was an amazing night. And uh, those of you down there in Texas can go get this bad boy. But go to Academy, buy Magellan. It's good for your health. Appreciate y'all listening so much. Thank you for investing. Thanks so much to Jordan Davis. What an awesome spirit. Travis, great job getting him. Really grateful to our law enforcement officials all over the country. Told a couple guys out in Mississippi this week. We had some uh, couple state troopers who were making sure we made it to and from everywhere we went on campus there in Starkville, right by our side the whole time. So, so thankful for what they do in our communities. Fire and Rescue, thank you so much for your heroism, saving lives every day in the United States military, all branches. Thank you so much for your sacrifice. When I was in San Diego on Sunday, I was reminded in a very direct way the sacrifice that our military members make and the lengths they go to make sure that we stay free. Can't wait for you guys to see my piece on Veterans Day. It's a, it's, it, it's going, it's going, it, it, it's, it's, let me think about how to say this. Can't wait for you guys to see this piece on Veterans Day. It is a serious dose of perspective. Thank you to the military. Teachers, truckers, farmers, thank you guys. What you guys do every day matters so much and does not get due credit. We try. Y'all have a great day and a great week. We're headed to Rocky Top. See y'all.